Hey everybody and welcome to Kim Folk and them. We are back on a Tuesday night, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. And right now we gonna shout out to the West Coast because we shouting out to them 7.30 Pacific. We of course have our boys Greg, Napo, Ish, and B. Reese in the house. Anybody want to give a quick shout out? Ishmael. Where baby? Hell no. Yeah, what? 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 Where what baby Ezekiel at? Where, where, can, can we give a? Can, can he, we show? Eating. Nah, he's eating. Okay. Well, okay. Maybe, maybe baby Ezekiel <laughs> next time. Yeah, next right. time he'll he'll pop in. If it's your first time tuning in, please like and share this broadcast so we can get more folks checking out the broadcast. Of course, to our show, Ken Folk and them. Can we give a, a big shout out to everybody that's like our Facebook page? Because we now have 200 likes on Facebook. Yeah. 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 Hey, appreciate that. Appreciate, appreciate that. everybody that's like Kim Folk and them on Facebook. We definitely do appreciate that. Real and again, and again, like and share this post. Like and share this Facebook page and everything we got on YouTube. No, I'm kidding. Y'all not whole ass niggas. Y'all are gifted intellectuals, divine minds, and all that other good stuff. I know. Calling the the people that tune in, (laughs) you gotta hit them in the face with realness, life. Because that's what life does: hits you in the face with realness. A lot of people, a lot of people got hit in the face on this show. Last chance, you, (laughs) Laney College. Hey, that's a great transition. That's a great transition. Just saying. Hey, we working on it, baby. So, like I said, the big. Hot show that came out again last week, last chance you this this year they were in Oakland, California at Laney College. And for this episode, I wanted to get somebody on that actually went to Laney College to discuss more about the school and also his playing experience at Laney College. So I have a really good friend of mine, Tyrone Diggs. Would you like to introduce yourself right quick? Ego! Hey, what's up, man? You feel me? Boy Tyrone Diggs in the motherfucking house. You know what I'm saying? Laney alumni. We out here representing, man. We went crazy on Netflix. All I got to say, man, you want more than that? No, I love it. Hey, <laughs> bring in, hey we bring in the Bay to the H. I appreciate that, baby. I appreciate that. Nah, I, like, like I told the guys, I wanted to bring you on because, again, you went there. We met actually in Houston, Texas at TSU when we used to live in the same dorm room, a couple yeah. of dorms, a couple of rooms down. And we would, you know, I would come over to you and, and you know, you Tyrone Diggs and my boy, uh, Abdul, we would go and watch ESPN in the morning, watch first take, yep. you know, and then we'll go on to class and, you know, take care of our business. And we also was there to play football at TSU. For sure. For yes, sure. sir. Yes, sir. So, of course, just wanted to give a shout out to TSU and also to Laney. Now, how do you feel about the 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 episode or the uh, season at Laney this year? Oh man, I, I loved it. I loved it. You know what I'm saying? It was uh, it was tough that we couldn't. You know, we didn't have a great season. You know what I mean? But um, it just brought back so much nostalgia for me. Just uh, uh, seeing Beam again, seeing everybody out there working hard. Uh, just the, the everyday life, you know what I'm saying, of going to school and going to play, you know what I'm saying? That's tough, you know what I'm saying? And, um, man, I feel like the they represented that really, really nice on, on, on this on this last chance, too. 
I definitely agree. And not just that, I think Netflix did a great job with making sure they incorporated the Bay, the soundtrack, the city, yeah. um, the, yeah. the, you know, the, also the gentrification, you know, it showed, um, you know, what Oakland used to look like in the seventies to what it looks like now. Yeah. 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 Uh, it used to be all black, <laughs> you know what I mean? Now it's like 50, 50. Uh, uh, it's crazy. Like me, myself, I had to move out of Oakland, you know what I'm saying? From Oakland to Richmond then from Richmond to where I'm at now in Vallejo, just because the rent was crazy. You know what I mean? The rent was just crazy. It kept skyrocketing. So now you go to Oakland and it's uh, a whole different neighborhood. They, they building up new businesses, new places all over. I mean, it's nice. It's beautiful, but it's always been beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it's the same that it's like now it's like we came in a court to live here. You know what I'm saying? After we didn't uh, put so much into the community. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's tough. So the question, uh, do you feel like they left anything out? I feel like they left anything out. Uh, nah. I mean, it was pretty authentic. Uh, shit. They they touched they touched everything. Um, I know what they left out. What was Beast Mode at? I was waiting for a Marshawn Lynch appearance. Seen they had his gear. You know what I'm yeah, saying? They, they did. They did. But I, I needed to see the real Beast Mode. I need to see. I need to see him drive around the cart somewhere. You know. I need to see the the, the dress flying. He a skyline dude, you know what I'm saying? He didn't okay. get skyline dude. He went fucking with uh old tech or some shit. Yeah, yeah. He went to Oakland Tech. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't have no relation to the school like that. Besides, you know, he you know, obviously. First of all, I don't want to say nothing bad about my child. He does because so you can't. Much, you, you, so can't. you can't. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I'm not. I will not say nothing bad about my He's done so much for Oakland. Every year, in and out, you know what I'm saying? That's 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 a real dude. Matter of fact, funny story, he used to live in the same apartments that I lived in when I was going to Lane. So that was that was that was pretty cool. But other than that, yeah, you don't know fit affiliation to Laney like that. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about Coach Bean. Now we talked about in the pre-show that you actually didn't play for him at the time when he was actually coaching. You said he was an athletic director at the time when you was there. So he was the athletic director, but he also was the OC, the offensive coordinator. Okay. He was in, he was in charge of the entire offense <laughs> when, when I was there. Uh, I don't even think – so the head coach at the time was Coach Cooch, and he was in charge of the defense. I don't think Cooch ever really even went to the offensive meetings. That was, he ran the, the whole show back then. And, uh, but I played defense. So I didn't, my first, okay, my first introduction with Bean was when I was walking on to Laney. I went there to go try out. So, you know, you went and had to do a bunch of drills or whatever. You ran the 40. When I ran the 40, I ran a, I ran a four or five. And I go, oh, you're, you're fast, brother. And I was like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of fast or whatever. And um, he was like, you offensive defense. I was like, defensive, all right, you go over, you know, like or whatever. So that was just, I was like, main Bean. My older brother, he used to run track uh, at Skyline when he knew Bean. All of Oakland know Bean. Every Bean's been respected way before this show. Like, I, I, yeah, that's what they said on the show. They said he's Godfather of Oakland. Yeah, everybody, everybody knows John Bean. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that dude, he, he cool, man. He, he be active. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how old he is, but like just last year, 
I was literally running three on three pickup basketball with him or Laney and like he's being up. You know what I'm saying? That pick and roll, all that. And he talking shit. He be talking shit with all that too. But he that's that's just how he is, man. He's competitive. He's been a competitor. Uh, so you're saying he locked you down then? No, I'm not gonna say no. <laughs> I get him to beat the business. He don't want no problem. But he was doing <laughs> for old man. You know, no, no disrespect, man. You know, he he still cursed cussed me out for that. <laughs> I think he's my favorite coach on um, of the series by yeah. far. Yeah, he, man, he's, he he he's tamed down a little bit since when I went. He he be yelling. He love to yell. You know what I'm saying? I remember I uh. Was playing, I somebody ran a go route because I stayed with him the whole time. Good press, ball was overthrown. I came to look, ball was overthrown, didn't throw it. And he yelled at me because I didn't locate the ball in time. And I was just like, damn, like, okay, so he, he always wants to bring out the best, you know what I'm saying, and, and all his players. And he he finds them, like I'm saying, we play, he, he's developed a lot of players since NFL players, you know what I'm saying, from. Uh, Frank Summers at high school, he, when he went to the league, to Atlanta, he had uh, the corner, Sterling Moore, uh, he went to the league. Then you had uh, C.J. Anderson, I played with him. He went to the league, he was under Bean. Chuck Jacob, receiver, he, I played with him. He was under Bean, went to the league. Like, he he, he makes real players, you know what I'm saying? It's uh, But then at the same time, his main goal is just to get kids to universities. Like that's like that's what it comes down to besides like the league. Like you'll find every now and then, once every other year, somebody talent can go to the league. But he's just trying to get kids scholarships. Like and that's that's what it's always been. You know what I'm saying with uh with, with Lady. <laughs> and just to piggyback off what Ish was saying when it comes to the coaches at the other schools uh prior to this season, I think we got a little spoiled watching East Mississippi Community College win. And being able to gloss over the coach when it comes to what he was doing because it was working, but once we once we start seeing these other coaches, uh, you know, perform the way that they do either in Indy, Kansas City, or in Oakland, California, now you start seeing the different coaching styles, and now you know people that are not in football like that can say, you know, maybe I don't like the way that you know Coach Brown coaches, but I like the way Coach Bean coaches. And I feel like, you know, unfortunately, they did not have a successful season last year in 2019. But what it does is, of course, it helps you it helps you build for next year. And if you are a real coach, Coach Bean was in his 40th year, you're going to build off of that and you're going to get better from that. And because every coach doesn't have a great successful year, you work you work off of those bad years to turn them into great years and you use those great years to um, to, of course, help recruit and turn them into even better years. But um I just I think I just, that added I think that added to the season that they didn't do so well because um unlike Indy and um EMCC where they got a lot of D1 bounce backs and everything this season just seemed more like of a grind more like the blue collar like, you know grit behind it because these aren't D1 bounce backs. These are dudes out here playing for their lives, trying to earn that spot on the D1. And for them to go out and grind the way they do and the coaches having to deal with the turnover because it's not like they're going to get blessed with a D1 bounce back next year. Like they're going to have to go find another dude out there on the streets 
to come in and to uh, contribute to the team. So it's like, dude, this is like real. This to me, this season was all about real hard nosed play, real hard nosed coaching. It was just, you know, the, it's the true kind of underdog story that you love to see. And mm. that's what made this one so much better. Because EMCC, like, yeah, it was nice to see them win and everything. But it was like a lot of those dudes were D1 bounce backs that they didn't even really appreciate what they had going for them. Like, they were just out there just like, yeah, I'm going to play. I know I'm a ball player. I don't even want to be here. But, like, these dudes were out here like, Dude, I gotta make it for not only myself but for my family. And like they were grinding, like that honest grind, bro. And that's what I love to see. I definitely agree. It's real. It's real. We didn't. We don't have any bounce backs. Like bounce backs that we get are local bounce backs. Kids they would run high school and then just didn't have the grades to go to Cal right out of you know high school or, or didn't go to San Jose State. So then they coming back. We ain't had nobody coming from the middle of Timbuktu to come to Laney. Like that just wasn't wasn't happening. We just we homegrown, you know what I'm saying? From all around the bay. All around the bay. And, yeah, that's and I and I love it. Love it. And I'm happy that you brought that up because of course they talked about that in um the, the episodes about like you said that they have to pick these guys out of Oakland. You know, they have you know, and, and it's not a bad thing because usually that's how you recruit. You're supposed to recruit in your city first and then of course spread out. But like they talked about, the other schools that are in that that uh, conference, they go Tennessee, Alabama, Texas, and get their guys to bring them in. You guys get you your your guys from you know the, the backyard of Oakland, and I and I, I think that was the the best thing about this you know this season, like it said. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is that the stadiums in in the heart of Oakland, downtown? You know what I'm saying? We we right there, so right right across the street is is a homeless camp, so. It's, it's 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 real deal holy field, you know. Ain't, ain't nobody staying on dorms or nothing like that. Everybody's coming from wherever they coming from. Whether they gotta take the part part train, you know what I'm saying, or they or they gotta walk and take the bus, or they or they driving an hour, you know what I'm saying. That's that's it is what it is. And you still expect to go to class. You still expect to be there on practice. No excuses for for, for none of that, you know. Now before I get you up out of here, what is one memory? That you can share with us that you remember at Laney College, and on our on the field or off the field. Okay, one memory, one memory. Let me see. Let me see. Man, there's so many. Don't be shy now. Don't be shy. Let us know <laughs> the good stuff. We need the good. <laughs> shit. We need the racket shit too. We need that good <laughs> shit. We need that no, blue I'll magic. I'll tell you one story that everybody from my freshman year in 2008 would remember. Okay, this is literally we're probably in spring, maybe summer camp, right? And the, uh, we all in in the huddle or whatever. The whole team, I think it's it's like towards the end of practice, right? And the head coach is he's giving the the speech like like he do. And you know, one of the big things they say, you know, Elaine, you know, we don't we don't uh, we don't cut anybody. You're gonna cut yourself. Like we're gonna make you just want to quit. You know, basically, like that was their thing. And one of the questions that the coach had asked was like, let me just know right now. He was like, is there anybody here that doesn't want to play special teams? And this one dude raises his hand. And then the coach was like, okay, there's the gate. You can leave now. And the dude was like, what? He was like, no, you're, that's it. You're cut. And that kind of set the tone 
right then it was like damn like it's a it's a real team thing like you, everybody no matter who you are like y'all gotta everybody does has their job they don't want right. to dude, dude was like 6 2 220 like this right no, I, I appreciate that story because that's that's real that's that's real deal. Holyfield, that's how you set the tone to be able to be able to build a championship team. You know, by letting people letting people know that you are not higher than, you know, your position or even your number, because a lot of a lot of players were upset after the numbers came out. You know, yeah. some people didn't want to be 46 or whatnot, or, you know, they, they said that there was an ugly number, but you are not bigger than the team. That's something all of us, you know, know about playing sports. You went 10-2 and two and won the ball that year, so <laughs> no problem. Looks like it worked. Looks like it worked. <laughs> well, again, I appreciate you, Dick, for stopping by, Ken Folk and them. Yeah. You be safe out there in that Bay Area. For sure, man. Y'all be safe wherever y'all at Texas or wherever y'all at. You feel me? Be safe out there. All right. Bay Area. Yes, sir. Hey, this one. Hey, this one. Hey, there we go. Appreciate you, dig. Stay safe yeah, out there, homie. That, I know, y'all. Y'all take care. Blessings, King. Blessings. Well, again, I appreciate Dig for joining our show tonight. Next topic that kind of ties to our last topic with last chance. You talked a lot about mental health in the black community. And the big question we have tonight is why is mental health in the black community such a stigma still? Um, anybody want to start off? I mean, I don't know. I just you know, feel like a lot of it is like not being raised to express your feelings. Like, when I was growing up, my family dynamic was not one that was open to express feelings. So, like, we were always taught time to keep it in and then just deal with it. So, um, I can't speak for every living situation and I can't speak for every family and how everybody else was raised, but like, that is kind of how it was with me. So, like, but, and also the relationships that I saw, like, the marriages and things I saw weren't ones of communication. They were always, you know, I guess dysfunction was until um, I went to college and started seeing healthy relationships. I didn't know like really what communication was all about until I got out of that, of that bubble. So um, for me, I would say like, it has a lot to do with, you know, how you're brought up because how I was brought up was not one of communication and expressing your emotions. So, I mean, that's what I have. Go ahead, G2. Uh, I feel like for me, um, especially in the black community, you know, we're all mostly, you know, Christian Baptist background. A lot of people, you know, when you tell your problems and stuff like that, they just tell you, oh, just go pray about it. When all actuality, that's not bad advice. You need to do the extra work with that, right? You need to put prayer with action. Prayer and just letting it sit there is not going to do anything. I feel like you need to pray, which is not a bad advice at all, but it needs to be more action with it. You know what I mean? Like, go see a therapist. Go see all these other things, right? But at the same time, like for the question, it's, it's just kind of like, you know, being disgraced to talk about your mental health. And they're just gonna, you know, downplay it or be dismissive 
and say, hey, um, need to go pray about it. But at the same time, you need to have prayer with action. That's my whole thing about it. It's just one layer of it that people touch on in the black community, which is praying. And I think you need to do more than pray, in my opinion. All right, all right. Um, I'll just say my little tidbit right quick, um, especially somebody that played football and also raised in a military family and whatnot. Uh, same with Brett, uh, his father, of course, military background as well. I think the way that the black community is raised, of course, a lot of us is raised off of discipline, raised off of the discipline of also kind of unfortunately off of fear when it comes to you can be young and have a great idea or a great, you know, uh, thought of whatever it is to change the world or change just your family dynamic. But because of who you are, a young child or even a young teenager, you don't know any better. So you have to stay in the child's place. And then when you're 18, you're a part, you're apparently just thrust upon this adulthood so quickly, but you're still not even an adult yet because you've been getting treated like a kid for so long. How are you all of a sudden going to get? How are you all of a sudden all, all, all of a sudden you're going to be an adult in just a year when you've been treated like a kid for 17 years? And I think that is a is very weird to me when the black community that you're so quick to thrust your family out at 18. And that's not everybody. That's not everybody. That's not even what happened with me. But from what I see with you know certain folks, a lot of people get thrust out into. Uh, like we saw in Last Chance you just, hey, either school, work, or, you know, find a way instead of actually building together, kind of like you see with his Hispanic families, like you see with Asian families, like you see with different African families as well. Um, and, I, and I think that causes more and more mental trauma that we are not able to heal from before we're able to move forward. Yeah. Go ahead, Ian. I think I think all y'all hit hit on it a little bit. Um, I think Brett's right from a standpoint of um, it's just like for me, what I think, like he said, you're not taught to express your feelings. I think one of the things that we have a problem in this community, especially for men. Right. So not just like the community in general, but especially with men. Um, you're not taught to express your feelings. And if you do express your feelings, um, it's looked on as being soft, right? Like you'll get made fun of. Think about, think about like growing up, if like a boy is crying, people are like, oh, boys aren't supposed to cry. And you're called soft and you're called all these things. And it's like, it teaches you instead of learning to deal with that and heal and move forward to hold all that inside. And then it creates so many different things that go along with that. So it, it creates resentment. It creates, you know, self-doubt. It creates a lot of things inside of you that we are fostering because we're not allowing, we're not teaching our kids how to handle these situations, how to be able to, you know, cope with these things that they see, the trauma that they see. Because another problem we have in our community is we do get exposed to a lot of trauma early in our lives. And we just don't know how to cope with it because our parents don't know how to cope with it because they had trauma that they were never able to get over. Right. Like they had a lot of situations that they didn't um, 
their parents didn't help them grow. So it's kind of like a cycle that we go through. And like Greg is saying, where they're like, oh, pray for it. There's a lot of people that their answer is just pray. But there are a lot of things that you need to do besides just praying. Yes, the Lord is going to help you. Yes, he can do so many things for you. But you also have to be able to go out and talk to somebody, whether that's uh, to a mentor, to your parents, to a counselor. You got to be able to go out and express those things and get that out there so somebody can help you with it. Keeping it inside and being silent, that does not help you at all, man. And I think that's where why we have the stigma is because too many people don't want to be seen as soft. Too many people don't want to be like, oh, I got a problem. I have some mental problem or something because you feel like people are going to judge you for it. Right. Well, to, to wrap all that into one, we live in a society where the standard of being man is thrust upon us at a young age where cultures say you're a man at 14. You should have a job at this, that, and the third. But, you know, with children, we shouldn't be working. That's, you know, child labor, things like that. So when, when we think of it in that term, so especially in the black community, when that's all we've been manipulated to think is, you know, you need to be out doing your own shit because ain't nobody going to take care of you except for you. You know what I mean? And OK, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be the man. What does that mean? That means I need to be do. It means I need to be here. I need to be there. I need to be doing this. But you don't even know what you're supposed to be doing. And you don't understand that you're collecting emotions. You don't understand that you have to um, react certain ways to certain situations. You know what I mean? You're not aware to to how you're even being, how, how you, you're not aware of your own self. And if you can't have some type of recognition of that at a young age, then, you know, that's really going to be detrimental. And it stems from a society that pushes so many labels on us, so many standards with, at the same time, we only have, you know, a certain group and list of like limitations thrust upon us at the same time. And a lot of that, all that shit is intertwined. It's inter is what's it entangled with each other. The discipline, the fear, all that shit, the disgrace, the unawareness, people feeling like you soft because oh, I don't want to say nothing about how I feel. That's all wrapped up in the same little bubble, in the same little box of what it means to be the standard of being a man. And when you have that, same with being sex, everybody being over-sexualized, things of that sort, because, you you know, and then we become desensitized at an early age because it's supposed to be this age, but now it's happening when motherfuckers is fucking two years old and shit, and you, shit like that, you know what I mean? So... It's, it's it's a lot nap it's a lot and i just want to bring this up from miss nolan miss susan nolan she's uh checking out the show and we miss definitely nolan. appreciate her for doing that now she gang, is gang, gang, gang. she is a teacher in her own right she's been in the school the school uh profession for i want to say more than 20 years and she's seen a lot of black kids in her and her time to where she said or you know herself she said i feel like it's a carryover of the past generation to generation don't show weakness the road is already hard especially for black men expressing feelings make you weaker vulnerable yeah what do you guys feel about that i mean it, it hits the nail on the head i mean you don't want to be vulnerable you, you can't be vulnerable because if you're vulnerable, then you feel like people going to take advantage of you. People going to, you know, you're soft, you're weak. Yeah. you. Well, it's not even man. necessarily about being soft or weak. I think it's more so that everybody understands we live in a world where fuck people are fucked up. 
maybe who's to say if people would still be as fucked up as they were if we, the system wasn't how it was. I can't say that if and or but, but at the end of the day, people have that mindset. So people have that fear in their head and people are going to, to some degree, you know, they, they don't want to look that way because that's what appeals to certain people and this is what you're supposed to be so that's how they're going to carry it they don't know and that's, what I, and that's what i was going to say you say that we live in a world where people are messed <laughs> up or whatever but it's like how many of us are willing to go out there and put that out for everybody to know like i'm messed up like i'm actually not as good right. as i m- make it out to be like not a not very many of us are willing to go out there and just put ourselves on the limb and say like, yo, I'm actually really messed up and I'm trying to work through some things and I need your help. Like we just don't want to do that. And people right. don't want to do that. And I think social media has made it worse because now we project these perfect lives to everybody. Like, we, like nothing's wrong like, with us. Everything wrong. is yeah. good. When yeah. in reality, you know, people have terrible lives um, but outside of social media, but on social media, everything looked perfect, looked good. They traveling everywhere. It looked <clears> like they bought like the you know they got all the newest gifts and whatever from somebody. But we just don't want to people in general. We don't want people to know that we're messed up. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what you believe, you can't manifest anything into reality without putting in the work, whether it's praying, meditating, whatever the case may be. Working out. Talking to whoever you need to talk to. You have to do the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual actions and hard fucking work to get what you want in this motherfucking life. Now, I think also like they talked about last chance you being talked about this generation being an instant gratification type of generation. And I don't, I don't think they're talking about us, you know, cause we about to hit thirties or whatnot. They're talking about 24 and below. Maybe, you know, what? Don't say yeah, stop, stop putting my business don't, there. don't put the age out there too loud. My nigga. I'm still Anyways, my- <laughs> all right. My bad. Greg, Greg, Greg 21. Okay. <laughs> Greg 21. So I look 21. I look 21. Aging like wine, baby. I'm aging like wine, baby. (laughs) That was a horrible transition. Horrible transition. (laughs) Put that down, please. So as we can see in the black community, even though we have to deal with tough topics, we still find a way, still find some way to laugh about it. Still find some way to of course smile and keep moving. Is that correct? What's up, Brett? I mean, I mean. We always will, as a human being, you're, you know, saying you're taught to persevere and keep going. Like no matter what's going on, you're always taught to keep pushing, no matter what. Um, and especially as an athlete, as an athlete, you always you battle adversity, and no matter what's going on, you always keep going. And I know that's always been ingrained in me and you guys as well. Like you, know, you get knocked down, you get back up. And I mean, especially with us. Of being black men, right? Where it's like you're automatically knocked down, right? But you're constantly getting back up every day, right? But uh, what I was going to ask you guys is that: Do you guys think that um, I know that uh, uh, for the most part we've all had like our dads, you know, in our lives, right? Um, but do you think that a lot of this comes from? Not having uh, the dual parent household. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I think I can I can see why somebody will say that. No. I think 
I see why can somebody say that niggas got mental uh, health issues regardless. Yeah, that is a fact. That is a fact. Regardless. But 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 I feel like with both parents in the household, you do decrease a lot of the problems that you would have in a single parent household. And I and I and you know, I don't want to be the guy to speak for every situation because that would be pretty ignorant of me. But it's on the stats. Having two parents in the household makes situations that you go through in life decrease on a negative level. Decrease. Just saying. So, like, like my reasoning behind that is because, like, for me, right, I always had my mom and my dad have always been there, right, or in camera. My mom and my dad have always been there. Um, But have I, like, but I haven't seen um, healthy relationships is what I'm saying. So, like, you know, uh, the mental health part of that is like coming from a divorce, uh, you know, family. You know, I never really saw what it was like to be healthy. Right, my mom was always in by herself, and then my dad married my stepmom. But you know, I've never get too much into personal business. Like, not necessarily a healthy relationship. So, you know, like growing up, like we don't see these things, and then we look to TV. What we see in you know, you know, in Hollywood and movies stuff like that to what we think is healthy, but you know that is as you guys know Hollywood's messed up, so I'm not going to go down that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, I think partly, I think part of it is can be attributed to that, and I think part of it can't because even some of these households that have both parents in the household, they're um, still messed up. Yeah, because you know you're still kind of reliant on your parent understanding how to handle their own trauma, right? Like the video we were watching, we, you know, we passed around in the group or whatever, you know, he's talking about like you dealing with your own mental trauma before you have your kids, before you get married and stuff. And I think part of that is like the previous generation, a lot of our parents in, you know, their generation, they never really knew how to handle the trauma that they faced so like them trying to teach us how to handle trauma it just doesn't work out because they don't know they don't have those actual you know healthy ways of handling that so even if you have two parents in the household if your parents don't understand how to handle their own trauma it's going to be hard for them to teach you how to handle the trauma of today because one of the things that you know with me starting to have kids and everything one of the things that you will have to realize is times change as you get older and as your kids grow up. So like the problems that we're facing now, while we face certain things and we had certain traumas in our childhood, the same thing isn't going to be what my daughter and my son are going to face, right? They're going to face totally different situations. And I may be able to provide a little bit of guidance, hoping that, you know, I was able to deal with my trauma. I was able to become a better person. So maybe I can help them through that, but I won't be able to 100% understand exactly what they're going through and that's some of the challenges you have regardless if you have one parent two parents it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. i agree so that goes back to what you're saying real quick so that's why it's uh, super important to have mentors right um you know if you are a believer and you are going to church that's why it's uh, super important to have small groups uh, that way you have that community of most likely people your age you know you know growing up as a kid you probably want to put them in like a youth group, something like that. That way there are people who are going through what they're going through and that they can talk to. Because like you said, Ismail, right? 
you know, even me having a nine-year-old, like he's going through things that like I I never had to at nine years old. So like I can try my best to comprehend and understand what he's going through and you know try and help him through that. But if he has another nine-year-old that's going through the same things that he's going through, or a ten-year-old, whatever, in that age range, that that always helps more when you have a community, you know, within your age group, or that has gone through similar things that you've gone through recently, to more direct you through them rather than you know a parent, you know, being even, you know, 15, 16 years might not seem like a lot, but I think about how much you learn and grow and go through in 15 years. How much technology years. evolves. Yeah. You know, like when we when we were nine years old, we were playing Sega and you know, going outside. There was no internet, right? But now, you know, internet is at the you know, tip of their fingers and, you know, they have the switches and they have the tablets and all those things that they can see everything. And honestly, having a nine-year-old right now in this generation sucks. Like, because, you know, they can be, on YouTube kids watching something about, you know, building Legos and all of a sudden an ad pops up and now he's like, what is this? You know, and now you have to go through those situations and talk through those things. So, you know, it's it's a whole it's a whole new world out here, man. Like especially with technology. Technology is awesome and great. We've done a lot of good things with it. But at the same time, man, it can mess people up. Then also uh, you know, I don't want to go, you know, we can get to the next topic after this if y'all want, but I just want to ask you guys, I know it might be a, a crazy question to ask, but what is your definition of healthy? Because yeah. everybody of a healthy relationship, healthy, you know, camaraderie is different from the next person. So that 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 that's where it gets a little tricky at that, because what is your definition of healthy? You know what I mean? I don't want to ask the question and get too touchy and feely on it, but that's a real question to ask. Because my definition of healthy might be different from everybody else's. Yeah, you know no, I mean? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think everybody has their own definition, just like you said. But at the same time, like, you also have to be cognizant and aware of, you know, like, who you are and, like, your self-awareness, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, if you're, if you're going through stuff and if you're not in a good place, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, things like that, like, Know, you have to recognize that and as a black you know black man like nine times out of ten you don't necessarily ask for help you you try to deal with it because that's what we've always been taught but that's right you, you know but we like we have to do better as a community of you know not criticizing people when they ask for help not you know putting people down when they ask for help like if uh, somebody asks for help, that's also like that's a sign of strength. Like, you know, in class, if you actually raise your hand and ask a question, that should be praised because you're trying to learn and you're trying to grow, right? But instead, you're like, if you don't understand something and you ask a question, like the kids will call you stupid, they call you dumb. How do you not understand that? Blah blah. blah. Yeah. And then the kids are going to ask the question next time. No. Yeah, I was one of those people that made fun of people to ask questions. So you me know. too at times. Me too. Yeah. You know, know, but what I'm saying is like, especially as a parent, right? Ishmael, me and you, right? When a kid asks a question is trying to learn, you know, we can't push them down because then one, they're not going to trust us anymore. And two, like we want them to be able to be comfortable enough to ask a question and try and learn and try and grow. And we have to do the same thing with us. Like if, you know, one of you guys asks for help, why would we make fun of you for trying to seek help? Like, you know, Thanks. Thanks. We have to do that more as a community as well, and not just you know with our kids. You know, 
But that starts with becoming aware of that and if of yourself, aware yeah. of that. You you know what I mean? And that whether that takes a mentor making you aware, you getting involved with something, I don't know. There, there's so many things to do just as far as you know, staying motivated and focused to absolutely do better. Absolutely. Yeah. I know I definitely agree with everything you guys saying. And I just want to give a shout out to Mohammed Sharif. Uh, we definitely appreciate you for checking out Ken Falkenham. He said regarding mental health, he's a schizophrenic is here. Ask me anything. Uh, right now, I don't really think we have any questions to ask you, but we definitely appreciate you for letting us know about your condition, because I know that's something that, uh, a lot of people probably don't want to tell people that. Yeah, we that. might have right. to, you know, we might have right. to circle back in a future yeah. episode and bring them on. We, we, yeah. we definitely yeah. can. We definitely can. So we, we appreciate you, Muhammad, for checking out on YouTube. And also people checking out on YouTube. We have Paige saying, uh, Pinot Grigio sipping. Okay. So uh, shout out to that, Paige. Shout out. <laughs> now, speaking of relationships, how should bill splitting go? In a marriage, now we've seen on social media, we, we saw a couple of memes that talked about, you know, if a woman should take care of them, a man should take care of this, of course, you know, if a woman is doing this or um, because of the way that, that things are nowadays, maybe bills should be split like this and like that. What do you guys have to say about that? I ain't paying shit. No, I'm kidding. Uh I would love to go first. <laughs> After, I don't know control or not. Hey, uh, yeah. before we start off, before we start on the topic as well, Muhammad also said thank you and uh, no problem, Muhammad. Yeah, Muhammad, yeah, appreciate you, man. No problem. So go ahead, Grant. Start us off. <clears throat> so I feel like uh, it really, it was just a really tricky question. It's a good question, but it's very tricky. The reason why I say that is because I feel like. Had these conversations a lot, right? So, say for instance, you know, I'm married, right? You know, I'm married to somebody, and um, she makes hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. I make eighty thousand, right? I want to get that job. I don't know, what you said, but I, I don't know what you said, but can't I can barely. Hear you. But anyways, um, it, it gets kind of tricky because okay, she makes more money than me, but at the end of the day, I'm a man. I have this pride in me. That I want to be a provider naturally. So don't every man is like that. But I'm just saying for me, I would like to be able to provide, right? So let's just say in that situation, I feel like it. The, I I wouldn't say 50 50 because I think that's a little bit eh. But I feel like you know I should take care of the mortgage, the rent primarily. Then she can do everything else, the the household things, the electricity and stuff like that. Um. But again, everybody's situation is different. Um, and then I believe everybody's situation should not be judged. I think that is the number one thing that we all need to look at in this topic. Everybody's situation shouldn't be judged. Everybody has different salaries, different outside variables that, that works for them. You know what I mean? So that's what I feel about it. Well, nobody got the right to judge nobody's nothing because don't nobody know how or what the fuck is actually going on in this world. So if anybody got anything to say about what you and yours got going on, tell them to fuck them. Fuck them. Exactly. Fuck them. Regardless fuck of what you believe and what you got going on. Now, with that being said, 
whatever relationship you decide to have with your significant other, that's what y'all decide to have. You can be a Fortune 500, 5,000, whatever you fuck call them coming. Wow! Indy five hundred looking ass. Indy five hundred. Keep going. going. Keep going. And your wife doing the same thing. And y'all decide. You know, money ain't nothing to us. Y'all make a little account together. Y'all do some, or maybe you just since we ain't really worried about money, this gonna come out your shit. This gonna come out my shit. That's just how it is. Or or I'm gonna do all of this. You're gonna do all of that. You know, that's something you gotta communicate about and not just be set in this standard of. I'm the man or I'm the woman. I have to do this. I have to do that. Because people want to do other things with their lives. You could be the man or the woman. You don't necessarily want to be bogged down with trying to pay all the bills solely by yourself. So that's why you have someone that you can split the bills with. It's a marriage, my nigga. Work the shit out together, communicate and whatnot. You feel well, me? La- well, last time I checked, when it comes to being in a marriage, I thought it was a partnership. So right. being, in, being a partner with somebody, I would think that that's you know, you, you need help from each other. Like I, my, you know, the mindset of our parents before it was always the male. The male had to pay for this, pay for that, da da da, and and the woman get courtship. But especially us, as we're, we're speaking from black males, how many black males that you know, besides if they played in the league, that just got money like that to set to tell a chick, hey, come on, you you coming with me? Unless they unless they in the league, are they selling drugs? You know. It's so many. It's not that many black males that are in their twenties that's making a hundred thousand dollars, or just are six or say six figures plus, you know. Besides tech companies, so forex niggas, them forex niggas think they balling. They not. They not balling like that. I promise. You. I'm just I mean, saying. That's what they tell us. I don't know if this is in their bank accounts. Them forex <laughs> niggas be balling. Apparently, another so. topic for another day. <laughs> I mean, so I I agree with Nepro and Greg. Nobody should look on anybody's situation to make any judgment because whatever you decide in your relationship is up for you and your own. Y'all do what y'all want to do. Um, but I will say, for me, it's a mindset thing, right? So if you're talking about in a marriage, in a marriage, it should be, like you said, a partnership, but it also is like it's a team. So what I have is yours. What you have is mine. So it's not like I'm paying the bills and you're not doing something. Like to me, it's all mm-hmm. about like we as a collective are working together to reach a financial goal, right? So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whose paycheck is paying for what. At the end of the day, everything is mm-hmm. going to one pot. So right. like we all working for the same goal. And right. it don't matter. I don't care if it's you're paying for the bills and we're saving mine or what, whoever, what you right. got going on. I think that's how it, the mindset is. We are working towards this goal. However we achieve that, that's how we go about doing that, right? Now, if yeah. you're talking about people dating, that gets into yeah. some different situations because yeah. <laughs> like you guys were saying, one of the things that people tend to ignore is the fact that there is a such thing as generational wealth right Thanks. and Thanks. in the Never black heard of community in the black community <laughs> it is lie. rare it is rare to see a family that has a, a they have it. gotten enough wealth that they were able to save for their kids you know to pay for their college and so they got spending money because most of us if not everybody that i grew up with when you go to college you are if you don't have a full ride scholarship, you are working 
to go to college. You are working just to have food, right? So how many of those people are just just have money to spend to say like, oh, I'm going to pay all these bills for somebody else, right? Like you don't. So that's a conversation between you and the person you're with and understanding both of y'all situations and where y'all are coming from because you may not have a dollar to your name. How are you then going to, whether you're a man or a woman, say, I'm going to take the responsibility for somebody else and go try to pay for all their bills or all their food? Like you can't do that. That doesn't even make sense financially for you. It's not going to help you mentally. It's not going to help your studies. It's not going to help you in a lot of ways. So there are too many factors for anybody to say like blanket, make a blanket statement and say, you as a man, you should pay all the bills. Well, that goes, I think that goes back into like we talked about before the generational trauma of black men not being able to, like, like you said, like we all said, express themselves and not also realizing and understanding, like, hold up, why do I have to do this and that? And I'm not saying you don't have to, I'm not saying the provider, as a man, you're supposed to provide, period. That's, that's not, that's something that's going to be, you know, from, from the beginning of time to the end of time. But to have to pay for, the housing, the food, your nails, your your this, your that, and as a woman just sit around and not do anything, of course, I don't think that happens so and too often in a working class relationship, maybe in a you know wealth gap wealth gap relationship where you have millions of dollars upon millions of dollars and you can do that. But if you're somebody making forty forty five thousand a year, I'm pretty sure you're not gonna say, Hey, sweetheart, you can sit and you know, make sure that the house is taken care of. I guess you know the bare minimum. Question, question though: Answer. Why is it that we say, as a man, you have to provide? Like, That's why, what I'm saying. Why do We're why do we force, this conversation why do we force that upon why do we force that upon little boys now, or whatever I, to say like I, you look, must provide as a man? I I got you enforcing that standard right now. And what is providing? What do you mean by provide? Because you're saying it like regardless. Now I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this. Look, 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 look. That's one thing that a lot of women women will say is that they want equal rights. They want to be equal and you know you know equal this and equal that. A lot of people feel like women are as equal to men, especially in the you know wage gap, which is of course not true. So, like you said, Ish, why does a man have to provide when if you are a woman and you feel like you are equal to a man, you should be able to do the same thing as well? Well, well, I'm not even saying it from that standpoint. What I'm saying, I'm saying it from the standpoint of you know why. First off, why are we forcing a, a role of like? the man has to be the provider. And my main reason of saying that is because I'm a father of a little girl and my daughter right now, even at three and a half, always talks about wanting to be a doctor, wanting to do all these things, right? Like I will I will be damned if anybody, let alone a man, a boy, anybody who wants to date her, a teacher, tells her that her role is to be in the house or to do anything like that. If my daughter wants to be a mom and she wants to be a doctor, she can be a doctor, out earn her husband, whatever. I don't care. He can be a stay-at-home dad. I'm not going to look down on him because my daughter decided she wanted to be a doctor and they decided his best role was to be in the house because Mm -hmm. she was doing what she wanted to do. Like Mm -hmm. we should not be, Mm -hmm. we should not limit 
what what these girls can do and we mm-hmm. shouldn't be forcing these boys into situations where we're telling them you are a failure if your wife wants to have a career and you know what makes sense is for you to be in the house because y'all need somebody to take care of these kids because maybe you don't have the kind of time that y'all afford a daycare or something and so now we're going to tell this boy you're a failure because you're going to support your wife's career like Everybody's situation is different. Let's stop <laughs> with these blanket statements of, oh, a man must provide. Because you can provide by supporting your wife while she's doing what she wants to do and doing what's best for your family and being in the house doing the other, doing other things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, taking care of your kids, making, making sure your kids are doing their homework, making sure that the house is clean, doing mm-hmm. all these things that we're trying to domesticate a woman and say a woman should be doing this. Like, no. The person who it works best for should do that. And it can still be a team thing. Both my wife and I work. That don't mean that because my wife works and she's a woman and I'm working that I'm going to come home and be like, oh, you need to wash the dishes. Do I wash the dishes all the time <laughs> because I know that she's just as tired as I am. And it don't matter who washed the dishes. At the end of the day, the dishes need to be washed. Like, right. why is it we going to say a woman should wash the dishes? Right. Like that this is the backwards thinking that we have got to get rid of. Too many people want to continue in this way of thinking of, oh, well, we a man's got to take out the trash. A man's got to mow the yard. No, do what is best for your family. Y'all talk about it and figure out what works best for you, because what works best for me may not work best for you. Now, could we uh, please get these uh, DJ Clue drop bombs right now? I wish we could pow, 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 and also hashtag girl dag for that one as well, because Ishmael, man, on, on some real talk, that was beautiful. What you just said right there, that was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really can't even like follow that, but I'll try my best. Shoot. You can't. Uh, I, I mean, I can't, honestly. You did a really good job. Don't try. Okay. I'm definitely going to try, always. But um, speaking from another married perspective, when it comes to splitting the bill, like me and my, like me and my wife have a shared bank account. right? So uh, whatever she brings in is going to the same pot, whatever I bring in, right? You know, And so uh, just like what Nap said, it's all about communication, right? Um, so luckily, uh, my wife has as good a job as I do, so now we're about even, whatever. But I mean, I was making more. And at one point, but that didn't degrade her from what she was making. Like it all went to the same. Like when when our bank account hit zero, uh, because we were paying off stuff, our bank account hit zero, not mine, not hers, right? And so, just like what Ishmael said, it's that same pot, right? It's we, not I, not her, and everything that we you know buy. Like when we go to the um, <laughs> when we go out to eat, sometimes like she'll say I'll get the bill, right? But she's handing them our debit card. So like for for each, you know, for each situation, it's completely different. Ours happens to be 50-50, right? So it doesn't matter, right? If um, the only thing that we'll switch up is like if we put like the electric bill in her name and the cable bill in mine, that way we're building our credit. Like that's the only you know, thing that's different. But I mean, outside of bill paying, like it's my USA card, you know, her USA card it comes from the exact same place. So I mean, I think especially as a marriage, uh, my my personal stance is that you should have a shared bank account because like, if you don't, it's almost like you're hiding 
you're hiding something from the other person. But that's just, you know, my personal opinion. A lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people think, you know, what's mine is what I make is what I make and what you make is what you make. I also think that causes division because, like, if you want to you know, go out and buy a new car, say, oh, well, it's my money, so I'm going to go buy a new car. And then, you know, now something happens and now you have to pull from each other. Well, now it can be like, well, you bought that car with your money. Why are you taking from mine? But, like, if you guys have a shared bank account, now, like, everybody sees everything. If there's a purchase that you dispute, right, now you can talk about it. Say, hey, why do you, you know what I'm saying, why do you spend $100 on those workout pants, you know, something like that, right? Lululemon, my wife loves those. But, you know, it's, it's like one of those things, like, hey, why do you spend that much on those, you know? Uh, but then it forces you to have those conversations, you know, but when you have your own bank account, you kind of do what you, you know what you want. You can high purchases, you know, things like that. If you, you know, hopefully not, but if you ever do something um, like, I don't know, like cheating on your wife, like you have your own bank account. Right. And so like, she'll never see, she'll never see those, you know, those charges. But like, if you have a shared bank account, it also brings accountability that, you know, you know, everything I do that she sees. So it's almost that, you know, that, accountability aspect and it also brings trust you know like she knows that i'm not gonna go do anything crazy one because i'm cheap and you guys know that but two okay 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 but two like she also knows that like if if i go out and buy a new playstation or xbox or whatever right you would never do it. that it's coming out of ours you know so like it's now I'm spending her money too, so I have to be more accountable to what I spend on because I know I'm spending her money as well. That she's also working just as hard for it, you know. So like when you have the separate bank accounts, like it kind of you kind of lose that aspect of like. I mean, sorry, it's all about the communication and it's all about you know how you guys work it out. But for me, I think if you have a separate bank accounts, you lose that aspect of accountability when it comes to like the the dual partnership of everything now you can right how you guys work it out i pay for rent you pay for utilities however that works you know for you guys it's fine but like for me i think that especially in a marriage and i say marriage because you know now you're one right it's a unity and so i say that of, of the joint is the best idea only because you're supposed to be one anyway and money is honestly one of the the things that it's like the uh, leading cause of divorces. One of them is money. And I think that if you have a joint bank account, you're almost alleviating that aspect of it. Not, not, not fully. Well, uh, Neil, uh, he, he says right in half. Now, again, I don't know if he's listened to what we've said in the past five minutes or whatnot. But I mean, if you have a spouse that you know a lot that ha that makes enough money both on both sides to where you can both do that, then hey, you can. But you know, I, I think some some people have to realize that everybody's life is not like theirs. So just because you know you said right in half, Neil or Brett says or Ish says, you know, one way or another, everybody's personal life is different, and everybody has to go about it a different way. Correct. Facts. All, right. yeah. All right. So, of course, last topic of the night: The Rock buying the XFL. I'm trying to get now, in that. A lot of people, of course, commented and said that apparently The Rock <clears throat> is doing 
what he did in Ballers, apparently what he's doing in real life, and that's going ahead and uh, purchasing uh, the XFL with his group for $15 million. And uh, I don't know if you also got, if you guys read the article, but apparently he will, he will be, uh, it will be ran with his ex-wife, um, like I said, with the rock. So even though they're divorced, they still out there making money together. And that's a, that's the best type of relationship to have. Am I right? Communication, man. Yes, sir. Communication, right. communication. Right. So what you, what you guys think about the XFL trying to come back, trying, I mean, I, I really don't know exactly where this is going to go, but again, from what I've read, the XFL still does not have the TV deals as of right now. So it seems like he's just purchasing, unfortunately, what it looks the like right now, an organization, an AKA a dump. So Greg, <laughs> Um, I have a question for everybody. So how many times has the XFL tried to like be a league, I guess? Is this it, like, will be the third? This, this will be number three. Yeah, this will be the third. Yes. Um, this reminds me of first let me get into the positive before I get into the, my talking my shit. Uh shout out to The Rock. Um, I think we all have aspirations of investing in something uh that's worth millions. Uh, obviously, the XFL is worth millions, so he made a you know he made an investment on it. I wish I had the money like that. You know, hopefully one day I can manifest that, and we can all come together and bring our money together and men and you know invest in something like that. So shout out to him; he's living the dream. I wish I had it like that, maybe one day. Um, but my question, I just asked you, uh, and that was I got an answer. It's a third <laughs> XFL has tried to become a league. Um, I think it's a bad investment. Uh, I don't think the XFL is going to last long. Uh, I have a bet. If anybody wants to bet, make a bet. Would it last more than two years? I highly doubt it. Um, Ken, shout out to him. I would. I'm. I don't have it like that to make a million dollars of investment on it. But um, I don't think it's going to last long. It's been proven that it hasn't been lasting long. So, well, but, I, I'll just say a little something right quick. Uh, again, unfortunately, Vince McMahon before the season started last year with the XFL. He was supposed to be putting in $350 million into the XFL. And with it with it pretty much folding before the season even ended, I just don't know where this is going to go. Um, you know, maybe The Rock being the, the guy might help drive viewership across you know the the across the United States and also overseas because he's the most electrifying man in sports as he likes to proclaim but I think the the XFL last year that was his best shot I think that was his yeah. best shot to do anything and I uh -huh. I don't I don't know man I really cannot say that it's going to be a, a I, I, I honestly think that it's going to be more of a bust than it's going to be a boom yeah, I say I say fuck no. It's, it's just not gonna last more than two years. Shout out to the Rock. But fifteen million dollars though, I know like for us fifteen million dollars is a lot, but fifteen million is not really that much of an investment if you're talking about a league. Now I'm I'm not talking about like just oh fifteen million dollars is chump change, but if we're talking about buying a league, fifteen dollars like have to buy the name and all that stuff. That's nothing. Um, especially, especially, you know, it's like how big it was then. I do think though, like it, I mean, I don't know. I think it has a shot because last year, um, I mean, everybody watched it, you know, um, 
it was uh, like you said his best shot so far but i think this if the rock can do it right if the rock can do it right i think that um game said it with a straight face yeah go ahead Ish. Y'all are discounting the fact that the pandemic was part of the reason why that too. the, okay. the league stopped. Though. So, like, it's not really? like it just folded just because it folded. Like, they were doing okay numbers. They weren't doing great numbers. The viewership but- was okay, like you said, but it was – I think it had everything more to do with actual attendance in other places besides yeah. Houston. And- Houston was selling out most of its games, but other places like L.A., um, see, you know, Seattle. They they showed out for a couple games, but after that, I mean, they have the they have the uh, Seahawks. They don't really care too much for the Seattle team, especially if see, you're not winning. And that's the thing. Like, you're gonna have to get the buy-in from people, and it's just whether or not you're gonna get that spring buy-in. Spring football is just so it's such a hard sell because. There are a lot of other things that are going on. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, football, I don't agree with love. that though, Ish. I don't agree with that honestly. I think, I'm not, I'm not I think, playing. I think honestly, spring is a really good time for developmental football. It doesn't have to be NFL football, but it gives people an opportunity to casual fan because I've seen it now twice, Ish, in San Antonio and also in Houston with the AF and also now with the XFL. That you will, that people will come to football stadiums here in Texas and watch D, you know, D three football as people like to call it or whatnot, and, and that's because they they are bored. They ain't got nothing else to do during the no, springtime. No, that, there's other the there's, there's other people in other places, like you said, that that can go off and go go golf and go do their other spring sports and ha- and and don't care for football during the spring. But there's people like Texas, Alabama, Florida, Georgia. South Carolina, California, that want football year round, dude. That's the, but that's the problem. The, you only have these states that are in the South that are traditional football states that are really diehard that are going to sell out for a developmental league. The problem you have is as soon as you tag a league as developmental, that has cheapened. You have cheapened your product. Like your product has immediately become inferior to the NFL, right? Which then says what to the casual fan? It's less. It's not oh. the greatest football to watch. Okay, so okay. So you tell me. Win? Hold up. You telling me minor league baseball isn't popular as, um, amongst small, you know, small cities in the United States? You you telling me G League, the G League basketball is isn't what is trying to get to get to as in an actual real league? You can reach all you want. I'm to, telling, you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, how many minor league baseball games do you see on national TV? How many exactly. G League games do you see on national TV? Yeah. Developmental yeah. leagues are not the kind of leagues that Americans want to tune in to watch. So you're gonna have a problem outside of the diehard fan. You're gonna have a problem getting casual fans to watch spring football, especially when you're tagging it as developmental football, because you're basically telling them we're getting kids that aren't the greatest in the sport, they're not the best, but they're okay, and we're gonna give you this product that you need to tune in for an hour to watch or so. Diehard fans gonna tune in, casual fans, not so much. And then on top of that, to bring everything in, what the hell are they gonna do post COVID? What are they gonna do? When is the next what time they gonna have do? fans in the stands? They're not going to be like the NBA and have a bunch of fucking people on their computers or on their phone watching the games and they're going to be in the background. XFL ain't going to have no money like that to do all that shit. 
The NFL, you know what the NFL is going to do post COVID with, with all this COVID shit going on. That's a good point. NFL, come on, dog. This is going to be a fucking yeah. Event. Well, if point. you know if you know any better, if you know any better, COVID is going to end around November third. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, mean, I also think that it doesn't have to come back next year. Like it doesn't. You, it doesn't. They can buy their time. They can buy their time. Yeah, it and doesn't. Wait, like yeah. two years. Literally, fuck. That can come back whenever it wants. That's what it did. It waited twenty years to come back again. Shit. I mean, what's another three? Here's here's the problem, X. This is the problem you're gonna have with any league, especially with like a football league, right? Break it down. You're gonna have is especially if you're trying to put these teams in cities that already have NFL teams, you're just not going to have the same kind of buy-in or the same kind of hunger for football that you have in other places. I'll use soccer for an example in, in, in other places outside of the America. There are teams in like the second division, third division of soccer in other, league, um, other countries that they do really well. They do really well because they have a diehard fan base that it doesn't matter if my team's a developmental team or in the second or third division. Like, we just love this team so much. We're going to support them. We're going to come out for them. You don't have that in America. That's the same reason why we don't have multiple leagues, like promotion and relegation in soccer here in the, in the U.S., because you don't have that kind of loyalty here in America. Yes, people are loyal I, to like I don't, Ish, I don't, I want to disagree with you on Dude, the football people are aspect. Loyal I to think NFL teams, they're that's not what I was going to get at to NFL. Are like, you telling me if, if the Washington, to Washington football team, you telling me if they have a developmental football team, you telling me that the Washington football team fans would not root for them? No. I don't no, agree with that. No, I don't no. agree with that. I think because because I think the Houston Roughnecks was developmental team for the Houston Texans, and we had a whole bunch of Roughnecks. I got I see all the time Roughneck shirts, Roughneck stickers, and all Where? that just. Where? Where? You you don't you being humble. You don't even be in. You don't even Where? be out here. No, in Houston no, no, no. Like don't 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 shout out my location. <laughs> I, don't, I say you be out of the Don't shout out my location. Where nigga? Where you see that shit at? Talk I saw I saw it a couple days ago. I saw I saw a Houston Roughneck sticker Where? on forty five in Emerald in uh, Imperial Valley area. I wow, say, so specific. <laughs> you asking where? I tell you where. I think a good with his directions and areas. He thank you, thank you, Nap. You know I know my directions. I see, I see renegade stuff out here too, though. Like, I... thank you, Brett. It's, it's okay. Where, Brett? XFL, XFL stuff is out. Again, no, y'all are using y'all are using extreme examples because oh, no, 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 Texas extreme is an extreme example. Texas is not the right place to use as an example because yes, people are like obsessed with football in Texas. Tell me how many of the Birmingham or whatever other teams they had out there. How how many people out there are dying for those teams to be back? I don't oh, think wow. they are. Omaha, Nebraska has a very good fan base for football. What See, Nebraska? Nebraska, Nebraska, Nebraska as a state, yes, definitely has a big fan base. What I'm talking about, he played out in Nebraska before. But that's the thing: certain states have very loyal fan bases to their sports. Philadelphia, I'm sure they had like a fucking. They had the Philadelphia Soul Arena football team, of course. Yeah. They I mean, but for they the do have, and they do support the Philadelphia. No, Soul but that's area. what I'm saying, like. There are certain sports cities, Baltimore, Philly, L.A., Chicago, uh, 
even sh- even shitty ass Detroit when they're winning. Yeah, I said it. When they're winning, Austin, New York. They, they, they don't deserve they, that. Come on, man. I'm I'm, ta- I'm I'm sorry. Anyways, when they're winning, they support the team again. Like I mean, of course the, the teams. I ain't talking about the actual city. I mean the shitty ass Detroit teams. When the Detroit teams are winning. Even when they're losing, I see people in Houston wearing Detroit Lions gear all the time, and I run up to them and say, hey, you must be from Detroit because there's no way in hell I'm wearing Lions gear, period. But you have to be from Detroit to love that team. And, again, I think that goes amongst everybody from the East Coast to the West Coast. If you was to, if we was to have an XFL, another XFL league and they put teams in like Birmingham, Alabama, Des Moines, Iowa, Omaha, Nebraska, um, um, Sioux Falls, Iowa. I'm sorry, Sioux Falls, Portland. Idaho. Um, Portland. Portland can have a football Portland, w- Wyoming. I promise Portland. you, I feel like it would sell. And of course, you oh, have yeah. to have dome. You have to have domes in some of those in some of those places. But I think Portland. that it would sell over going to those big cities and starting off in the Houston's and the LA's and the Seattle's and whatnot. That's just my mindset on that one. They they can they can do good. But are they gonna make a profit? That's what matters. Is you're hundred. You're hundred percent correct. No, profits. that's that's the that's, a positive uh, on the a positive side, not the red. But here's the thing, though: you have to be able to invest in money that you know you're going to lose. If you start this business, you have to know that you're going to lose this money before you even see a profit. A lot of business people don't want to wait that long to see a profit on their return on their on their investment that they put in. So I understand completely where you guys are coming from on that because you are right. Now, if it takes five years to turn to to see your return on investment, some people are like, nah, I'm good. I, I I I can go and invest in you know real estate and and make that money twice as fast, twice uh, and in shorter of time span. So it's just be very interesting to see where the XFL is going to go. And uh, Brett, before we get up out of here, you got something to say? Yes, sir. What I was gonna, uh, I mean, what I was gonna say is it all depends on how long it's around, right? And so. If you have a team that's in a city for three to four to five years, they're going to build a fan base, right? Uh, the reason why the NFL has a fan base for those teams. It's been around since the 60s. They've been there, right? And so, you know, with the XFL, with the arena teams, you have teams popping up here and there and there. And, of course, you're not going to have a fan base, right? Because they haven't been there. So if you have a team or – you know, a new league that's in a Birmingham, that's in a San Antonio, that's in a, you know, wherever, right? Um, if they're there for more than a year, more than a year, maybe two or three, they're going to have a fan base because then what happens, and I can speak to this because I've been in it with Arena. Um, you go into schools, you volunteer, you network, you know, you sell advertisements and all those things around the community, and that's how you build the fan base. You give out free tickets just to have people come. Whether you're good or bad, people want to be entertained, right? And when I was in uh, New Mexico for a little bit, the team was terrible, but the city loved it because we were always in the community. We were always volunteering. We were always in the schools. We were always doing stuff. And and that's what it takes. Like, you know, you see not in the NFL necessarily, but the NFL is also always and communities are always doing things because they want to build the fan base. And that's what it's going to take for any league to survive wherever it is, is to be in the community. And if you expect just to have a team, just for people to show up, unless you're in one of those big cities, it's not going to work. You have to always get into the community 
to build the relationships because people want to be able to relate to you, you know. And uh, that was one of the good things I think about the XFL is that people were starting to relate to the players because you had all the sideline interviews. You heard the things that were mic'd up. You were able to hear things a lot more. So you were able to kind of like relate to the players, but you also saw them outside of just on the field, right? And that's what it's going to take wherever, whatever league pops up, you know, whatever in the future, there's always going to be spring leagues that pop up, but it's going to take teams being in the schools, walking around, volunteering at the shelters, prisons, whatever that is. Go ahead, X, go ahead. It takes that, I agree, but also I think what changes the game more than anything is social media. I think social media is going to help any organization, and if anything, it needs to help Major League Baseball. That's the first uh, sport that, that that social media needs to help more than anything. Major League uh, Baseball needs to go ahead and just die. But I think the XFL, they're able to to do it a certain way and like they did the past year with promoting through social media and making it more fun and just making it different, not making it not making it as stuck up as the NFL is, you know, the shield, you know, making it more fan interactive. I think that was the best way that they were able to build the fan base and they can do that. On in real life and also on social media because that's the easiest and best way to be able to grab the younger folks. They have a good product. The the so there's no dispute that the XFL has a good product. The problem is, are they going to make enough money to stick around to do the things that Brett is saying? Like Brett, I agree. That's how you get more fans. That's how you build your fan base. That's how you're going to get the attendance up. But the problem is that we've seen with these spring leagues is they're not making enough money to stay around after one year. Because, yeah, it's all cool and well to say, like, okay, we're going to work towards building these fans. But the problem is, you're, no disrespect, you're talking about the team in New Mexico for Arena. Arena League is not putting out the kind of money XFL is putting out to be on Fox, to be on ESPN. They're not paying the kind of salaries that XFL is trying to pay for these players yes, that sir, are like – uh, close to being in the NFL, just got cut off a team. Like they're having to put money into these players. They're putting money into the infrastructure to broadcast these games, stuff like that. They need immediate return on investment. They are not going to be able to just stick around and grind for two, three, four years. So that's the problem you have with any spring league. Like the barrier to entry is so high that if you don't get an immediate return, you're going to fold. That's why we can't get a spring league. It's not that the product is bad because XFL, I actually enjoyed watching a lot of the games. I like the change they did to the kickoff. I like the, um, like you were saying, the interviews on the sideline. Somebody make a play. They have a breath. They don't know what to say. They cussing on the on live interviews. I, like, I like dude, all of that was, it was genuine. It was nice to see. It's good product. But will they be able to make the money to stick around for multiple years? so that we can get to you know see it longer i don't know but i mean i also think that there are people out there who have the money to do that right so it's gonna take it's gonna take you networking with somebody who has the deep pockets because like even if you know saying we had 10 people together we still win you know it, you know but you know it would take somebody who has those type of pockets to commit to three to four years, no matter what, uh, to make one of these leagues work. And I think, you know, 
a lot of people they might commit for one to two, but one to two isn't. That's not really a commitment when it comes to sports, especially trying to establish a team. So this it's gonna take somebody saying, "Hey, I commit to at least four years, at least five. The Rock. I think the Rock is. I think that's why the Rock is the right person because he understands the struggle of trying to make it into the league, yeah. and he's gonna be there because he wants to help players develop and get to the league. So I think he's the right person. Whether or not he's gonna be able to make that happen because of the capital, I mean, we'll have to see that. Yeah, now yeah, you guys, now you guys do know he's pretty much a slave to Unarmor. Well, not slave, but I mean he's the guy. He's the he's that guy for Unarmor, not Steph Curry, but. It's the rock. And, w- and what I mean by that is, do you not think that that's going to be something that he's going to have to like pull back from to try to run this? Like, you know, is he going to be able to maybe have Under Armour as a sponsor for XFL? Like, you know, because, because, the, because what, what I've looked into as well, the rock net worth is only $320 million. That's not that much. If you look at NFL owners, if you look at owners of anything else, uh, it's, it's a lot of money, but I'm just saying, you know, when you, when you talk about people that have, uh, real money that's chump change so you know who says who said he has to run it though but that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to figure out what what is what is his whole intent on everything is he gonna let somebody else do it is he just the face is he actually gonna be a part of the day-to-day operation like we don't know what's going on we just we just have a headline in an right. article I mean, y'all said he bought it with his ex-wife, right? His ex-wife he, is still. He bought. Yeah. He bought with an investment group. His wife. He's part of the ownership part group. Of, yeah, part of the ownership group, and pretty much he's the face. It's like yeah, it's yeah. like when it's like the it's like the uh, Alex Rodriguez and J Lo trying to buy the Mets. They're not buying it by themselves. They're buying it with a group. They're the face of the group. Okay, got you, got you. Understood, understood. I still take the fuck out of here, but you know it is what it is. Nobody's yeah. saying that it's gonna work. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Y'all Why arguing we... that it's going to work. No, 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 no. Why are we talking about the XFL and these professional teams? X, have you figured out what teams? And here we go. Yeah, I did. It's called uh, stop pocket watching. That's something that Brett needed to be needed to be doing because uh, you out here worrying about money or whatnot. So that wrap up tonight's episode. Uh, <laughs> Can't fucking know. We'll see y'all next week, same time, same place. You never gonna give it to us, are you? Never will. Never gonna get it. Never gonna get it. Never gonna get it. Hey, what you know about that? Yeah. So, anyways, we'll see y'all next week, 9.30. Kim Folk and them. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Wait, shit. Terrible.